Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we've got NWT Pro Dusty Minky back on the show. Dusty's such a great friend of the JMO crew here, and, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, the NWT Championship on Devil's Lake was a great story, just a, just a, 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 a famed tournament. I think that, you know, this championship will be talked about for a long, long time. These are some of the biggest bags ever weighed on Devil's Lake, and you know, there were just some really great storylines that came out of it. And one of my favorites was Dusty on the last day of pre-fishing, finding an area full of big fish and, you know, produce multiple 30-pound bags uh, in this tournament. And, uh, you know, ultimately contributed to Dusty finishing a fifth place, a fantastic finish, uh, and being in the top 10 for Angler of the Year uh, points with a star-studded field. The competition has never been higher uh, at this level and to talk to Dusty about the tournament finally uh, you know it, just a really fun interview and I tried to get the we tried to get this done right after the tournament and get it to you in a much timelier fashion but Dusty as we talk about in this interview Dusty had a quick turnaround on another tournament was very busy and our schedules were just uh, just too much but you know what we finally got to it and this is a great conversation Uh, We're hearing about the NWT Championship here from early September on Devil's Lake with Dusty Minky. Let's get to it. This podcast is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. To check out more of what they got, head to their website, northlandtackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. Hey, the open water fishing season is far from over, but the reality is for many of us, it is winding down. Let's take a minute here and appreciate everything that happened. Hopefully we made enough memories that can last us for another year. And if we're really lucky, we had a few fish fries along the way. Let's finish the season strong and continue to follow the clean, drain, dry protocols in preventing the spread of aquatic nuisance species. For those of you that are setting your sights on the sky, waterfall hunters, you need to thoroughly clean all equipment after each trip. That includes decoys, boats, waders, even washing the dog helps. It all needs to be clean and dry before moving to a new location. By following these guidelines, we can protect our waters for generations to come. For more information or tutorials on these clean, drain, dry protocols, head to North Dakota Game and Fish website. That link is in the description of this podcast. If you want to enjoy all the abundant fishing and hunting opportunities that Northeast South Dakota has to offer, there's no better place to stay than at Roy Lake State Park. Come shoot your limit of ducks or pheasants, then hit the lake and catch you a limit of walleyes all in a day. Roy Lake State Park provides both modern cabins and suites with all the comforts of home at a reasonable price. Go to GoOutdoorSouthDakota.com to reserve your fall hunting and fishing destination. The championship was just recently. That's kind of what we're going to end up talking about. But I want to talk about the you know they get the update on the season going into the championship. Like what what spot were you in for angler of the year, and what were some of the you know what were some of the memorable. Uh, tournaments this year that kind of put you in that position, man. Just look, reflecting on the season and some of the finishes, and and just uh, what sort of got you to you know w- where we can lead up to this Devil's Lake uh, Championship, man. Go ahead. 
Yeah. So, you know, what got me my final sixth place AOI finish was, uh, you know, a pretty solid year. I mean, it started off a little weak at Spring Valley. I think I landed around 50th place. And that was the difference of not bringing in a limit. I was shy two fish in my two-day total limit. Uh, just goes to show you down there that uh, you can't come in without your limit both days. Because if I would have, you know, I would have been in the money. But from there, we went on to, I believe, Lake Winnebago. And uh, Lake Winnebago had a top 10 finish, ninth place. I was, uh, it was, it was real memorable. It was a fun bite this year on Bago. I was actually pitching jigs with uh, night crawlers in like three, four feet of water. Um, and both days done early. I think I had 12, over 12 pounds each day to get me ninth place. I had great co-anglers. Um, that was just an awesome event. And then from there, we went to Pickstown, South Dakota. Um, and, uh, I ended up taking 26th place, which was the last check. Um, actually had a little mistake coming in the final day. My GPS was off. You know, it's funny. My wristwatch was on, but I failed to look at it. And I said to my coin, I go, Hey, we got like 20 minutes. So let's make another pass. And he goes, well, my clock says it's 28 after. And I go, what? I go, my GPS says it's 18 after. And I look, then I looked at my wristwatch and he looked at his phone and I'm like, oh my gosh, something, ha-. you know, so we were full tilt boogie and I had to be across this buoy line, but we were in a narrow bay and I just kind of slowed down. I should have maybe just put her right to the finish line, but uh, I didn't want to wreck anybody's boats or throw a wake up on, on shore. And, and, and then when I crossed the buoy line, I was just a little bit late and, you know, they, they'd seen that, and uh, it cost me, I think, five or six positions. I would have taken 20th, I believe. But it is what it is. I mean, I got to look, pay attention to my wristwatch, and not always trust my GPS. And then I think John actually found a setting in our in our, in our our Lorances to, uh, to, you know, alleviate that problem. So going forward, I'll have that setting turned on on a set time. Because um, when you're fishing in different places sometimes you're on the edge of eastern you know eastern or western or central time zones so some some little glitch happened there so and then from there bud uh we went to sault saint marie which is one of my favorite places to go it seems to always be good to me it's so much water it's huge but it's really cool like the canadian side reminds me of some of the stuff i guided at up on lake of the woods where there's moving water and it's really prestige little islands and currents you know little river kind of action going on and then it's great lakes and then even up by the sioux i mean it's a it's a river system man the water's flowing like three four miles an hour so it's 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 like fishing the detroit river a little bit and it's really clear water like you can see down 15 20 feet with a moving river system and then the big ships going by uh, it's just an awesome, and I found a sweet spot, and first day we had a fog delay, and I was like, I don't think I can run down there. I don't think I got the time, and then I got a, I got a factor in getting gas, and, and so I started somewhere just off of a whim, and we caught a couple fish, missed a couple fish, watched a couple good ones get caught, but in my brain finally clicked. I'm like, we got to get down to that spot. And we finished out our limit, but it wasn't the best. And and then proceeded to run out of oil. Luckily, a fellow angler 
Justin Sieverding, thank him. He uh, he picked up my coin glitter, my fish, and we got in on time. And then uh, I dealt with that. And I just simply ran out of oil. Just kind of a blonde moment. I have those once in a while. Uh, but day two, no no fog delay. I got to go down to you know I called it fantasy land. There was nobody around me, and I was doing what I like to do. I was casting the new Northland pitching and puppet. Um, kind of imitating a crayfish or a goby because that's what those fish down there eat on. And I was like 40, 50 miles away from takeoff. And I just had this spot all to myself. My coingler and I ended up with like 25, 26 pounds, which compared to what some of the other guys were catching wasn't, you know, wasn't that great. But to me, if you could catch a 20, 25 pound bag at the Sioux, like it's pretty special. And it was a call event. I want to say we went through like 30 fish. It was a very, very important special day and uh, ended up in 13th there. That was a lot of fun. And then from there, that's what leads us up to going into the championship, being in seventh place AOI, my travel partners in first and second. So we had ourselves in a good position coming into doubles. Yeah, dude, you had yourself in a really good position going into doubles. So that sort of leads us to, I want this to be a big portion of this conversation is the championship at Devil's Lake. You know, I want to hear the about the fishing and, and the pre-fish, anything that you can tell us there. But also, like, you know, like you're just saying, you're going into the championship, your travel partners who you've traveled with for years, you know, you guys are definitely a squad. You, you're first and second and seventh, uh, you know, in, in AOI points, which is pretty stellar. I mean, you guys get, you know, figured out a lot of things leading up to this point this season. And, so you're going into Devil's Lake. Do you feel like, you know, do you, know, do you, do you guys feel like there's some pressure there? Is it all fun? Is it, um, is it all just excitement? Like, like just, you know, getting set up and getting rigged up to go there, you know, for a early uh, September Devil's Lake run? Like, like, like what is some of the planning and the, the preparation and sort of the feels like when you guys are sitting in that kind of position? Yeah, great question. I mean, uh, totally excited because the last time we were there, I was in the lead. John ended up winning, but between him and Kimos and I, there was a pound difference between first and third. And I had thought it, uh, at the time that I had 10 minutes to go, I'd caught a six, seven pound fish that I, it was ecstatic. Like I can't get that feeling back again. I thought I won, you know, but John brought in a, and Tommy brought in just a little bit more weight than me. So for me, it was a bit of redemption to get back and devils has been good to me. So I was very excited. Another thing that changed from 2019 to this year is how excited we were to get there with our forward-facing sonar. Because it's no secret, I mean, that's where we tend to excel. Um, And so we were very excited. And Dwayne and John got out there a little earlier than me. I had to finish up some of my work uh, before I'd gotten out there. But... uh, yeah, we, we had a great place we rented, and, uh, you know, we we have a lot of family, you know, that travels with us with the support, and, and like, uh, you know, we just got a really good system going, and, and we are very, very strategic, because this year, Angler of the Year had a boat on the line, Ranger Boat, so we knew we were going to put John and Dewey in the position to, to win that, because uh, it's a huge deal. Yeah, 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 I mean, to put that into context, it's like, you're trying to win the tournament, and anybody that pays attention to the NWTs, if you win any of the NWTs, I mean, it's a boat. But we're talking, you could, 
there's two boats on the line when you're at the championship. For those that yep. are in reach of that have enough points to potentially, uh, you know, win Angler of the Year, which is it, it's a that that's a separate achievement. You don't actually have to win win the championship, the tournament that's actually happening. You just you know if you, you so I mean there's two boats on the line here you know, just for context there is like what you're saying. So yeah, like be, between you and your travel partners, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, you know, that, that team aspect and, and everything that goes into that, like, yeah, somebody ought to be coming home with that angler of the year boat, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I absolutely. So awesome. You know I mean? Just, you know, you guys have so much to look forward to, but that's a lot on the line. There has to be maybe a little bit of pressure going in, you know, for some of the guys, but you know, talk to me about the fishing. What can you tell me um, about, you know, your pre-fish and getting there? And what was sort of your impression from the last time you were there? Do you fish? You know, first question, maybe, do you fish Devil's Lake very often when there's not a tournament there? Like, what's that like for you? Actually, I pretty much only fish Devil's when we we have to go there. You know, maybe every four or five years I do an ice trip out there. But, no, it's typically, I, you know, most of my time spent here at home around Beach in northern Minnesota. But when I get time, or most of the time meant, you know, spent there when we go there for a tournament. I put it this way. I, it's getting to be my favorite lake. It's been so good to me and in, in, in the different things you can do. I will say this, though. That thing is, uh, back in the day, it used to affect me more, but not so much now. Um, but man, that thing can eat up your tackle, dude. <laughs> yeah. Like if you, you got an old, an old rusted out box, you can, uh, you want to lose some lures, you go there. <laughs> but yeah, no, there's, it, a, there's, lot there's, there's a lot of there's wood. There's a lot of rocks. Yeah. Oh, but no, but once you can get past that, losing the lures, no big deal. Um, but no, in my brain, um, you know, I was really looking forward to using our sonar, my Lawrence active target. And in my brain, I w- I've got, you know, my arsenal, uh, which would be a reaction date. Um, and then I like jigging plastic. Um, any, any day you cannot have to, you know, use live bait would be nice. But uh, that actually came into factor. And then one thing I've really been focusing in on this year, um, you know, Leech Lake tournaments, local tournaments, the MWC on cast, and then coming into Devils was uh, my slip bobber rod. And, uh, you know, one thing we ran into a bit of a snag with is trying to find leeches. And with the, with the state laws in North Dakota, you know, there's plenty of leeches here in Minnesota, but you can't legally cross the border. You have to get leeches that are from North Dakota or, you know, purchased in North Dakota. And just simply nobody, I did my research and I, I just couldn't find any leeches. I probably should have called you and Jason, but I just figured <laughs> if, 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 uh, if nobody really had them, it wasn't a thing. So I, yeah, I, uh, it was so tough. To- yeah. I gravitated towards using night crawlers and I, and I try some, and I do all right sometimes with some fake, you know, leeches and stuff, plastic leeches on slip bobbers, but it's hard to beat real bait. So night crawlers became, became a key for me. And then, uh, to be honest with you, practice was a little tougher for me. I, I know John and Dewey had a pretty darn good practice and you know, the way we pre-fish, we, we try to like our boats stick out pretty good with the wraps. So we try not to, uh, it's pretty strategic, you know, so we spread, we spread out and um, it was tough. 
And the last day of practice was the Tuesday before the Wednesday tournament started. And uh, the weather forecast was not good. High winds, 25, 30 mile an hour out of the north. Temperature change, cold front. But I have a travel partner. Uh, this guy's awesome. His name's Caden Hudak. Um, him and I looked at each other and we're like, we got to go. You know, we got to go. Everybody else took the day off. I think a handful of guys went out and braved it. But we just looked on the map, and I said, we can launch here. We can duck out of the wind and try to put something together. And we didn't find anything. I think we've seen a couple of good walleyes circling our, our rigs, but it just, they wouldn't bite. And it was 2.30. I have a picture of him holding the 27-incher. It was 2.39, I think. And uh, I found this shoreline in this little bay, and I really didn't know the potential it had. But uh, he had missed one on the slip bobber, and about a minute later, he got got one to bite, and uh, it was a 27-incher. And then I could just see on my active target, I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's, uh, there's, there's not just that one here. This isn't a fluke. This is a real spot, you know. So I'd come in sighted. You know, knowing that we didn't waste a day and found it, you know, we we were at the at the launch at 2.58, my trailer, you know, right at the end. It's like we just stuck it out and did the work. Like I always say, I might not uh, be the smartest guy out there, but we'll definitely outwork you, you know. So yeah. that, that was what kind of happened there. And uh, I was pretty excited to get rolling because, to be honest, before that day, I didn't really know where I was going to go or what I was going to do. So... Devil's Lake is just an evolving thing, you know, over the last however many years. And it's a relatively young body of water, really, uh, like very yeah. young body of water. So how was that for you, man? Are you able to stay objective and just go out there and try to find them and break it down? Or are you on your memories a little bit on Devil's? Yeah, so I, I wanted to do what I did last time. And last time, you know, it was no secret. I was jigging the towers. Um, just doing things a little different, maybe mixing in plastics uh, more than reaction baits, um, and, and not you know not moving it as fast. So I kind of figured out that last time we were there. And then a big part of my strategy was uh, was casting crankbait shallow. And I went back with the you know same mentality, like I don't need to just see them on my active. Like I'm still going to try to fish these memories and fish these things that worked for me. But it didn't, it didn't work or like there was more weeds this year. So like casting a crankbait in some of those spots, it was weedy. So you're right. It changed, you know, not so much the water levels changed, but it just, sometimes I think things change because, you know, where, where different bait is or, you know, I don't know. You hear of a lot of guys going to devils and, oh yeah, we got our limit, but nothing big, you know, and it's like over the years, we've kind of figured out that. There's big fish. You just got got to target them and figure out where they are. Obviously, I mean, look at, we had like 30 pound stringers this year. So the big change for me was I wasn't so much going to do what I did before. I was going to lean a little more this time on my, on my electronics and making sure I was casting at the right fish. And that's what the change was this year, which was pretty cool because basically I didn't, I didn't cast a crankbait. I didn't go jig those spots in the tournament. Um, just totally changed. I was on the opposite side of the lake. Uh, so from 2019 to 2023, like to fall into that, you know, top top 10 again, uh, doing something totally different was uh, pretty special. So then tournaments, I mean, the championship, 
it's a it's a big difference. It's only forty boats versus the normal hundred and fifty plus, you know, boat fields of the regular season events. The championship is just the fo- top forty AOI anglers, and so there's less tournament boats on the water on a big body of water. Going to put a little less pressure probably on a lot of spots um, and a lot of people. It's really competitive because you got the guys that are doing the best. Uh, you know, all season long out there. I mean, it's just, it's literally just the championship of all championships, really, um, you know, events when you talk about walleye tournament fishing and it's a three-dayer, you know, if you're going to finish in the top or if you're going to try to win it, you got to plan on fishing and weigh in a bag all three days. I mean, so walk me through that. Walk me through day one. Yeah, so... Day, yeah, day one, you know, we took off at Graham's Island and I was, I was heading towards the east. And, uh, like I said, I'd found that spot, but I didn't know, really know its potential. So I'd actually stopped at a spot I found in practice and was surprised nobody else was fishing it. And, uh, you know, I think I ended up getting three fish out of there. Um, couple that you kind of scratch your head, but like I said, I had a tougher practice and I had, we had like six, was it six fish to work with or, you know, seven, no call. Um, yeah, I think it was seven cause you could have two extra. So, um, so I knew I had a little to work with and I'd went in there and I kind of wanted it to be calmer, but the wind was blowing, but it still managed to catch a few fish. But in the back of my brain was that special special spot we found the day before and i told my co-angler and i was really blessed to have some uh, great co-anglers man uh, throughout the season and, and then to top it off you know in the championship and no matter what my boat i'm trying to have fun you know this is my hobby it's not my job it, you know that's a big thing for me is is if it's not fun anymore i should probably stop doing it you know so just having fun having a good time i said to my co-angler i go we got to go try this and like once again to my surprise nobody was in there and i we rolled in and i want to say we were done within 20 minutes um and i can't remember i think yeah we just caught like and part of the strategy talking with the boys was like these spots are special just take what we need you know don't get greedy don't you know don't get too greedy you know like we got three days we got to space it out so I want to say I only kept six fish that day because I knew what I had was pretty special. I mean, we rolled in there and with the slip bobbers, and I had a slip bobber set up. I had a I had an eighth ounce deep V Northland uh, jig. It's got a longer shank, really sharp hook, and I was using you know a real similar color to a night crawler, so it really blended in and looked natural. And I was pinching some of the crawler off, um, and uh, that's like an eight pound fluorocarbon up to a swivel and then I want to say I had like an eighth eighth ounce tungsten type weight and then uh you know a a bead to protect the knot and then I've transitioned a lot towards mono and I think it I use like eight or ten pound just zebra mussels are a little harder on a rig so I make sure to use floral on my leader and then I've been gravitating more towards the mono on the main line and I did have a couple of rods in the boat with some power line down to a floral, but never did use them. So what I found is over the years, and I've been slip bobber fishing since, uh, you know, 
early 2000s, like it's just been something I love to do. And now that the forward-facing sonar is out, it, it's it's very it's really effective when you cast to them and and land it by them and try to be quiet. And it's just a natural presentation. But back to why I use the mono on my on my rod, and then the rod's been key over the years. I've I've used salmon rods, um, offshore tidal rods, um, and just kind of figured out you need the bigger eyelets. You need a long, whippy rod, you know, to get the cast down and to get the distance. And then you you have to work a lot with your with your bobbers and which bobbers you use. Weight on there if you don't. I mean, the fall's a big thing. Uh, but the key for me the last couple of years is uh, my sponsor, Elliot, and 2B, um, 2B, they have a rod called the Sharpshooter, and it's eight foot six. It's telescoping, so you can fit it in your rod locker. And man, I can cast a slip bobber a long ways, and I can cast it very accurate. That's the key. So, having those setups like that, and just tweaking certain things, playing with tungsten jigs, um, you know, just figuring out what the fish like. And when you watch them on the electronics, how many fish reject your rig? Yeah. I'm constantly, constantly retying or trying to match the colors of the bait I'm using. Or sometimes I'll even put a plain hook on to see it. You know, they're just super smart. And it's it's crazy how how many fish reject you. And then all of a sudden you make that right cast and boom, your bobber's down. And most of the time I know it's down. I just, I'm looking at my electronics and I look up. And I'm like, he's swimming down with it. And I look up, my bobber's gone. There's no better, better feeling, you know? Yeah. So. Hey, the open water fishing season is far from over. But the reality is, for many of us, it is winding down. Let's take a minute here and appreciate everything that happened. Hopefully, we made enough memories that can last us for another year. And if we're really lucky... We had a few fish fries along the way. Let's finish the season strong and continue to follow the clean, drain, dry protocols in preventing the spread of aquatic nuisance species. For those of you that are setting your sights on the sky, waterfall hunters, you need to thoroughly clean all equipment after each trip. That includes decoys, boats, waders, even washing the dog helps. It all needs to be clean and dry before moving to a new location. By following these guidelines, we can protect our waters for generations to come. For more information or tutorials on these clean, drain, dry protocols, head to North Dakota Game and Fish website. That link is in the description of this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. To check out more of what they got, head to their website, northlandtackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. If you want to enjoy all the abundant fishing and hunting opportunities that Northeast South Dakota has to offer, there's no better place to stay than at Roy Lake State Park. Come shoot your limit of ducks or pheasants, then hit the lake and catch you a limit of walleyes all in a day. Roy Lake State Park provides both modern cabins and suites with all the comforts of home at a reasonable price. Go to GoOutdoorSouthDakota.com to reserve your fall hunting and fishing destination. (laughs) 
You know, if you're going to find a spot, find it on the last day, the last thing you do in pre-fish, right? I mean, yeah. gosh, I mean, versus find it on the first day and watch that fizzle out all week and not and not find anything else for the tournament. I mean, you found this right, you know, day before the tournament, day before, you know, so day one you go out, but you're still watching your back. You're still being a little bit careful. You still tuck into another spot. Uh, you know, uh, something different that, that uh, you know, you had found in pre-fish, like, and you get a few fish there. But ultimately, what was your weight on day one, and what position were you in when you, uh, after that? So day one, we came in a little early. I think we were done by noon, one o'clock. And then I had noticed on my map that, because we got cut short that last day of pre-fish. So then I looked on my map, and I'm like, man, there's two or three more spots just like this. So I went and just pre-fished with my graph, knowing that I was done for the day. I knew I had a big bag. I didn't know I had, I was figuring maybe upper 20s. I didn't know I had 31, but we had some 28, you know, 25 to 28 inch fish. And those fish in there are heavy. And I think they just gorge on, they got perch and those shrimp. I think those th- the things are constantly puking up shrimp. So it's like doubles is like a, like the best salad bar buffet, you know? Yeah in the world for those <laughs> they're just thick and they weigh they weigh more than most places put it that way so yeah so we came in a little early but i went and checked those spots with my active and, and i'm like oh my gosh i found more you know so later in the tournament those became critical um not only for me but more so for john um it, and that was one cool thing about it is is john and dewey's stuff it kind of dried up or like those fish got caught and it was either they're pressured or I think more than anything, they're just educated and they got caught and they still do. But then, uh, you know, then, then what I had found had become more, you know, we built off of that and, uh, and during, during the tournament, which was really cool. So, yeah. And then, and then some of my things that I, I was doing too, is it, it wasn't just a slip box. I mean, I'd follow up casts with, with the puppet minnow and I would follow up casts with the jig and a plastic. Uh, Northland's got a new mimic minnow head. It's got a gami hook on it. It is amazing. And I was switching back from, uh, from a fluke to, uh, to one of the new eye candy, uh, paddle kills in a, in a natural color. Um, kind of like any type of white bass color seems to be good in like a crankbait or, uh, or a jig like that. Um, and one of my favorite catches of the tournament was like a 28, 29. I don't know. I don't even measure them, but like, I'm like, oh my God. But I was using a new uh, Elliott identity rod. It's a jig and plastics rod. And I got like a 2000 size reel on it. And it just, the fight of that fish and, and where I was and stuff. Like, I, I don't forget that. Cause I love that thump of a jig and plastic that, oh, there's no better bite. <laughs> so that was all part of my game plan, but majority of the fish came on that slip bobber rig. Like at what point in time was there, was it like, did, you know, did the confidence just go through the roof or did it not? Did you have to fish it all the way to the end? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, the confidence was there and I, I was really looking forward to day three. I honestly thought I had a good chance, but John on day two, just, uh, he got that dinosaur out of our area. It was an 11 pounder. Ultimately, that you know, that's what won in the tournament. Isaac was on some some great fish. Um, so I just knew that on day three, I just had to 
stay consistent and bring another 30 pound bag and you know was kind of kind of fingers crossed you know hoping that i one of those magical bites like that at least like a 10 or a nine you know like but you know we figured out and john would give me some time in the morning and then kind of then john expanded on our spot found some other stuff in there you know so we just knew there was a lot of fish in there but you know day three the weather kind of calmed down it was a little bit overcast i think the sun was kind of the ticket the first two days uh for our fish to be a little more off the bottom and active so and then i think it was just a, a mixture of the pressure you know the pressure in my area and the, and the hot and the not the high sun um and you could just tell the there just wasn't as many fish you know i mean in the back of my mind i i knew you know like that can happen it's fishing you know like you can't just every day just can't be magical so you know i i started started jumping around and then i i come back in there like oh i gotta told myself i wouldn't leave here this what got me here you know and, and i just didn't like what i was seeing and then john came in and i I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't see him catching much. And I'm like, Oh, I can't die here. I got to have a limit, you know? So I just started fishing memories on my way back. And I think we only plucked one or two fish on the way back and, and, uh, enough for 15 pounds, which I was sad, you know, but, uh, I even, I ran all the way over to Minokin. I mean, I came in with, uh, probably four or five gallons of gas and I had started with the full tank. So I just know that devils at one point you can, you can land on something special. And, and, uh, that's always in my mind is, is that I can, I can land on something and something's going to happen, but it, just the rest of the day I scrambled and nothing really panned out. So it was unfortunate it was see John get enough weight and Isaac, you know, kind of had it the same bag as John. So that day three, I think it was, it was, it was tough for everyone. There was a couple of guys like Will and, and Weisner that, you know, had some nice, real nice fish, but uh, yeah, that's just the cool thing about devils is, is uh, it just fish is so cool. And that in 10, 20 minutes, your day can really change at some point. We were going to do this sooner. I was, we were trying to make it work right after the tournament, but you had another tournament, like a quick turnaround to fish another tournament. Tell me about that one. Yeah. So the MWC comes to Cass here every fall and it typically lands, you know, in September, the first week or two. And, uh, yeah, so I knew that I wasn't going to get to pre-fish cause I have a regular job. So I spent a couple of Sundays out there prior to going to devil's. Um, cause I live 25 minutes from Cass and, you know, spent the last couple of summers on Cass, to be honest. And, uh, it's just a cool fishery. It, it fishes a lot like leech. Um, so it fits my style, but more than anything, traditionally, um, I tried to do a couple of tournaments every year with my dad and sometimes it doesn't always work out because of the NWT schedule. Um, so it just happened to work this time and I knew that we weren't going to get to pre-fish, um, you know, and I kind of stuck my dad out there to, you know, but that, that technology's, you know what I mean? He's kind of old school. So we just went into it and, you know, there's no better sticks, uh, in my mind 
around the country than there is in northern Minnesota. So I knew that like the year prior, my dad and I took 13th and we were ecstatic just to just to get in the money because these guys spend the week up there. It's their favorite week of the year. It's the fall. The fish are starting to bite. Um, so dad and I to be a part of it and more or less being around the guys we really enjoy. And, uh, you know, we ended up taking 10th. And uh, that to me was, it was almost just as fun as the championship at Devils because it's pretty special, you know, when you get to do it with your dad because you don't know, you know, how much time, you, you know, you have on this earth. So oh, that yeah. was pretty special. But that sounds, yeah. yeah, that just sounds like a blast, man. And then that kind of leads us up to now where you've been busy the last couple of weeks and now we're finally, and so is I, so we're kind of finally having this conversation. But before we like, you know, we're getting, we're hearing the tournament stories. I love the recap of your season. Awesome job. Super fun. The championship just looked like an absolute ball for you guys. But I do want to ask you some questions about your slip barber and you talking about it, um, you know, being an effective tool. And I just find it really, really interesting because there were some elements that made this championship on Devil's Lake you know, a little bit different. Historically, you know, Devil's Lake, it can be a live bait deal. It can be, um, you know, plenty of tournaments have been won with, you know, jigging wraps and, but just as many of, you know, way more tournaments or way more money has been cashed in tournaments on Devil's Lake, probably with bait of some sort. You know, you mentioned it was hard to get leeches. Like what are some of the tweaks for the different, you know, for doing a night crawler deal versus a leech deal? Um, and, uh, you know, what do you, what is it that you think makes it so effective? Um, you know, still like the whole, you know, a nightcrawler. Cause I think when, when 99% of the time we talk about slip bobber and shows on here, it's, it's 99% of the time it's a leech. And you know, I would have preferred to have a leech. It was just basically what it came down to is what we had to use. And that right. was nightcrawlers. Honestly, nightcrawlers for me is, is a newer thing to use. Um, because typically you're fishing systems with a lot of perch and the don't tend to peck off a leech or even really want it as much as they want a crawler. So that's a big factor too. But like going back, like I, I have every walleye insider magazine. Like I, I helped pre-fish back in the day for the PWTs and the FLWs, you know, for this technology of active target, um, so it's pretty cool how I've been through the process. And then to me, slip bobbin's always been in my arsenal, you know, and I know that lately it's new for a lot of guys, but it's just something I've always wanted to win a tournament on a slip bobber. I studied back in the day, like Pete Harsh was a master on Devil's Lake with the slip bobber and the leech and the guy won several tournaments. I always got a kick out of his bumper sticker. Been there, won that. I'm like, someday I want <laughs> yeah, I dude. Getting, that, getting that bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah, old Pete, but, man, yeah. And then watching guys like Doc Sampson, who just really dialed in and took it to the next level on the mapping and reading the stories, how he'd work out to know he was going to drop his anchor 15, 20, 30 times a day to reposition to get his slip hours in the perfect spot. You know, like, so I took all that in and, uh, you know, and, and it's been weird how bobber fishing was kind of cool a long time ago. And then it was like, people forgot about it until this new technology came out. So I think that part of it, 
just kind of going back a little bit of the history, like back in the day, like I said, I was using offshore rods and different rods, trying to tweak my setup. Um, spent a lot of time on Mille Lacs with my high school buddies and my, my best friends back in the day. My uh, buddy's dad had a camper on Mille Lacs, spent most of our nights doing lighted slip bobbers. So it's just been matter of using bobbers and uh, just, you know, perfecting it. And it's just come a long way. And then to see the rods, you know, they're making now specifically for bobber fishing is it's pretty cool. For you, like you've been, you've been here around for a long time. Like you said, you, you had mentors in for a slip bobber and way back in the day. Now you, you're one of the guys, you know, you're one of the guys that we talk to about, how to slip bobber uh, for big walleyes like forward sonar. If we were to look at forward sonar and how you how you utilize it to help you find fish and cast that specific fish now, but you know for, if you were to step back and just look at the big picture of like slip bobber fishing before forward sonar to now, like what's what's the biggest difference? What what is what what is it about maybe the setups? What is it like? What has changed in your slip bobber strategy? You know, with forward sonar. Back in the day, you know, you'd have a depth bomb, much like ice fishing, and you'd be like, "Oh, how far off the bottom were you? Twelve inches. Well, I was eighteen. Now you're on the active target, and some of these fish are three, four feet off the bottom. You know, so if you drop it, you know, but that's one thing you learn with this technology is, oh, that one came down to bite it or this one came up to bite it, you know, like, but I barely use a depth bomb anymore. Maybe when I'm starting the day off just to get my sense down. But now I know like my eight foot six rod, I go, you know, this, the bobber stop, I can see. And then I know that my trolling motor is two or three feet under the, you know, so it's more of like a judgment. Just get yourself in the right strike zone area, but do pay attention to how the way the fish are reacting, you know, and like going back talking about, you know, most of the time I want to have a leech on the, on the rig, you know, and I, I switch up from, from eighth ounce jigs uh, to 16th ounce, mostly 16th ounce. And like I said earlier, I'll do just a plain little tiny hook, you know, or a split shot above that. It just all depends. Um, and then a lot of it too that's changed over the years is, is your casting. Before we just kind of lob them out into the wind and let them drift over a rocky spot, you know. And and now you're, you know, my dad got to be real good recently at landing his bobber with a foot of mine because he knows that's how he's going to get a bite, you know what I mean. <laughs> and then it's tricky too because I do fill in on some weekends up here guiding for uh, LOA here in Walker. Um, when they get overloaded, I'll take a guide trip. Um, and we kind of joke about it because it's hard for me to put my rod down. I'm like a trained pointer dog, you know, like I've got to be kind of cast into, yeah. <laughs> but like uh, about a week ago, I had a guide trip and I just want to be casting at them, but they were joking with me so much about maybe fishing a little too much that I needed to be better at teaching instead of catching. <laughs> and I would take my active and I'm like, Oh, there's 20, 30 walleyes over there. So I'd position the boat and point the sonar and hit spot lock. And I'm like, guys, we just got to cast 25 to 30 yards over to our right. And that worked out just fine. So I'm starting to learn how to not be so selfish with it, you know? Um, yeah. But if you're a visual learner, sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know, you catch a couple just to, you know, to, to show them, yeah. you know, I mean, there's, there's probably a little bit of value in that. You know, if I was in your boat, if you were guiding me on Leech Lake, 
Uh, I don't think that it would hurt for me to watch you get a couple just so that I kind of knew what you was talking about, you know, when it was my turn, <laughs> you know, or, so. or, or like, yeah, or like setting the hook, like that bobber moves and these guys are, are pulling the trigger and I'm like, Oh man, reel up your leech is gone. You know, like let that thing get six, eight inches a foot under the, and there's a perfect time to set the hook. This is a whole nother conversation, but I noticed like all of a sudden I'll be doing something and my bobber's been down and I'll run up to the front and all of a sudden it comes floating back up. It's amazing how those fish can, they could pick it up and sense that thing in their mouth and spit it. And like, if I would have been up there three seconds earlier and set the hook, I would have caught them that or like, don't let it get two inches under the water and set the hook, you know? Yeah. You can be too early and you can be too late. Yeah. And then another thing too, like, even paying attention to like your slip knots. Like, like I said, I've got some set up on power line and I have some set up on mono. The, the material on your, on your slip knots is key. Um, I'm constantly switching those things out. And I find that, you know, it can be hard. So you got to retie strip 10, 20 feet off every night, like every night at the championship, I was retying. Actually at one point of the tournament, I put all new line on, um, you know, so that's something to pay attention to. Um, you know, like I said, just, you know, the length of your leader. Uh, one thing I noticed doing a show with Jason a couple of years ago is we were using the Northland balsa bobbers. And I noticed that those things didn't move as fast as say another brand of bobber they were like magnetic sticking to a spot maybe not drifting as fast so i found that was a key i mean there's like wobble bobbers there's plastic bobbers there's balsa bobbers there's weighted bobbers there's i mean we're even looking you know i'm even looking into some other stuff that some friends have showed me you know that may be used in different parts of the world you know for different fishing you just try to get an edge you know above the rest uh so yeah just tweaking with your bobber rigs um yeah just you know not much has changed over the years as far as like your setups and stuff it's just more it's more of the fall and the area you get it into and i mean live good bait you know i had good night crawlers out there and i think those night crawlers are very active and I'd put them in, you know, fat and sassy bedding and, and just making sure when they're down there right away is when you get the bite. And that's, that's your, your crawler's still wiggling around, you know. So when something can look naturally alive, I always loved the iridescent of a crawler. Like you look at a real fish and you and you look at a, a night crawler and they share that iridescent um, look. Yeah, they got a the bit bottom. of a sheen on them. Yeah. But and if like you some, overuse a crawler, if you try to catch three fish on a crawler, he just looks yeah. matted. Or same with when your leech gets round. That thing's done. Throw it out. Too many people drive around all day with pitch the same leech. Like you can't be afraid. Like I know you buy them a dozen at a time, but I'm going I'm going through my bait. Like it's almost wastefully, but I know it's not. There's there's a big part of uh having really good live bait for sure. And some guys have the mentality that they need the biggest leeches. That's not always true. Um, especially on the river, you know, like you just play with all different sizes, you know, have one guy in the boat, use a big one, one guy use a medium, and then you let the fish tell you what they want. 
So now one thing you've mentioned a bunch of times, you talked about it with your de- the Devil's Lake tournament this year. You talk about it, you know, it, how often, I mean, are you putting a jig all the time? Are you fishing a jig under your bobber all the time? Not all the time, but I've transitioned to like the tungsten style jigs, you know, that Northland just come out with. There's a short shank, a long shank. My biggest thing is to to maybe blend fish doesn't really I think it's just a natural thing, right? And uh, that's another thing you want to play with is different colors. Like we found, you know, on leech, there, there's some colors you you won't get a bite. So the next time you're up, I'm going to make sure that's on your rod. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks. <laughs> but no, like for me, like you talk, you hear about guys talking about colors. I'm a real natural guy. Like if I get a leech on, I want to, I want to maybe. Uh, tend to stick towards a duller color that's going to blend into the leech or if i got a crawler on you're going to see that my jigs are are blended towards what a crawler looks like you know i i don't like to get too excessive but like the other day um after the cast tournament i had a guide trip this guy was pretty hot with a pink jig you know and back in the day on lake of the woods pink was a good color if you were just man enough to, to put it on and use it yep so yeah i like to change it up but most of my style has kind of went towards the jig but I will switch it up and I will put a plain hook on just to make it look real natural sometimes. And do you feel like, you know, getting back to like hook setting, you know, being an important deal, like, do you feel like, you know, uh, uh, you know, going with a plain hook makes it, it might make it a little bit finessier. It's obviously going to change the fall. Um, it's going to change a lot of things. Do you feel like the fish will hang on to it a little bit longer as well? Like, like in certain situations, you know, uh, what is it about a jig that absolutely gives you confidence over what could ultimately be the most finesse in a plain hook? Yeah. I think the biggest thing with the jig is, uh, you're trying to make a good cast on them and it it tends to not tangle, you know, like when a plain hook will kind of slack back or tangle, you know, so you got to make sure you, if you're doing a plain hook, you got to, you got to have a couple of split shot, six, eight inches above the hook. Um, but yeah, on a plain hook, they do tend to, to get a bigger bite. And then a lot of times, you know, with the jig, it's like I said, it's important when to set the hook. Um, with on a plain hook, you can maybe have a little bit more time. They don't know if it's in their mouth or whatnot. Another key factor is too, is, um, switch up where you're where you're hooking your leech or your crawler maybe go wacky style off the side um typically you know 95 percent of the time we're we're hooking it by the sucker but uh you know if you ever put a leech in a in the water take a look at which way it swims um so you want the thing to look natural so um play around with that like on calm days you know you want to get the most action out of your leech so play around with where you hook it, um, and I think you know that'll help you more than anything. And you were definitely you were threading those crawlers on in uh, Devils. Yeah, I, I was I was going through the head down to the collar and making sure it was perfectly straight. You know, and, and that's a big factor too. Sometimes, like even you know when you're down in Oahe and slow death is a key. One year I was just rigging my crawler straight on a averaging hook, so. It reminded me of that, you know, it just looks, when a fish looks up or down, it just, more than anything, it's the length. Like the other day on leech, they, we cleaned the fish and they're full of three to four inch perch, you know, so 
mimic what they're biting the length, you know? So, yeah. And then I, I think like on devils, I mean, they're gorging on those shrimp and, you know, crayfish and perch. So as long as you can get the length down and pinch a little bit off and make sure it's still kind of moving and active and, you know, there's certain colors of leeches and crawlers that I pick out of the box. Like if one to me is not colored, right. I'll I maybe won't throw it in the lake, but I won't use it. You know, like I, I want my colors to be right. Do you have any stories about slip bobbering with co-anglers where, um, or if you were to look back on all the times you slip bobbered and maybe, you know, you had co-anglers that, um, you sort of, you know, you, you, you kind of had it, you know, you were teaching them, you were, filling them in on what your style is in your program, what would you say are like, have been like the most common things to teach? Like what, what is the most reoccurring portion of a slip bobber conversation with your co-anglers where you're like, you know, maybe helping them adjust or, you know, uh, you know, is it the hook setting thing that you kind of, you feel like you, you, you got to remind them of, is it, um, you know, is it, is it how to cast, uh, you know, how to run your rig? Like, like, what would you say is like the, the most common thing you got to teach co-anglers when you're slip bobbering in a tournament? Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing with the co-anglers is the accuracy of the cast. Um, and then like when I'm guiding to, it's just, I'm constantly saying, pick up your slack or I always go real, real, real. You know, I want you to keep that line tight, you know, never that rod should be bent, never, never have slack, but have enough slack to make your bobber drift, you know? But going way back, like, who taught me was my old boss, Mike Chewett, out on Lake Mille Lacs, and that's, like, in August. He just knew so much. He had a, a fisheries biology background, and he just knew so much about when the fish were biting or where they were going to be. And in August, he's like, they start eating the crayfish molt on Lake Mille Lacs so we can go in three, four feet of water in the rocks. And he taught me how to cast a slip bobber in the air and let it go way back in the wind. and that was super cool you know so to see that work and then meet i met a couple of pros and the pwt came to Malax and i showed those guys that bite right there in august and they ended up taking like third and fifth and so that was like that was really cool to me it was jeff taggy and tommy chemos you know so then we kind of became lifetime friends and they would help me wherever i was going in my career and uh you know just teaching them because i got taught from someone but yeah, trying to keep it a little bit of a secret, you know what I mean? Yeah. So th- that was pretty cool. But yeah, just just try to try to tell them, you know, hey, set set, don't set it too soon. Okay, right about now, you know, like don't let it go under too long, you know. So, and like I said about my dad, it's the accuracy of the cast. Um, you're dealing with wind most of the time, and you're throwing a balsa bobber into the wind. That's not the easiest thing to do. So utilize these new rods that are making that 2B sharpshooter. There's a reason they make it. Um, play with weights on your bobbers um, and, and make sure you're casting. And, like, it's amazing how you can cast into the wind now. Uh, and also don't, you know, don't, don't pressure the fish too much. If, you, if you're going to want it to do, you know, like, like, a, like I like using reaction baits. But you cast that in a school, you better be prepared to maybe catch one or two. And then you've you got to restart the cool thing about a slip bobber is you can, you can kind of dissect and move around with the school and really pluck them, you know, and if you do it right without too much pressure. So yeah, over the years, I mean, just the coolest stories I think for me has been recently with my dad, 
fishing these northern Minnesota tournaments in Leech Lake this year where my dad and I, it was a fish donkey app type tournament, and we had a few pitchers that weren't perfect. So we realistically should have been in the top five, but it is what it is. I just looked back and just had a great time with my dad, and we caught some real memorable fish, and most of them were on the slip bobber rig. And just seeing how good he was getting at the back of the boat at casting, you know, and getting right in the mix where my bobber was, I'd set my bobber out as like a, and I do that guiding too. I, I throw my bobber out. And I'll be like, okay, guys, don't hit my bobber, but try to get it within five, six, eight, ten feet of it, you know? Yeah. So you use that as kind of like a marker. And then, you know, like my co-anglers at doubles, I made sure they were standing on the front with me, and I want them to make an act. And if they didn't feel confident in it, I'd take their out and make the cast for them. So that that's some helpful pointers and stories, I think, that kind of kind of mix in with the, yeah. with the slip bobs. Oh yeah, dude. Absolutely. That's exactly. And the ultimate, yeah, like the ultimate co-angler story would be like fishing with your dad. I'm sure a lot of people are smiling, thinking about, you know, fishing with their dads, you know, or whoever their, you know, their grandpa or whoever their, you know, somebody gets you into fishing, but you know, this, this younger generation, this modern day angler anymore, you know, we're into our electronics. We're into this, you know, a little bit more precision stuff here with our casting and, and, you know, you brought up a very good point there at the end with the slip bobber, you know, being, you know, even in states like Minnesota where it's a one rod deal where, but with forward sonar now, you can throw that bobber out. It's, it's wildly effective, but anybody else in the boat, you know, it's like, you know, you make that initial cast, you find where you're at. You don't even have to be fishing bobbers, you know, the other people, they can be casting something, they, you know, a totally different presentation, but it's like go four feet to the right of my bobber cast a little farther than me or whatever you know i mean it's like what a reference point and that in itself so not everybody in the boat is necessarily looking at a screen not everybody in the boat has their own transducer but having that technology in the boat coupled with you know the the slip bobber it's like the benchmark of like you know it's like like that one two punch it's just a gateway into so many more fish catches if you've got a group of people in the boat because it's, uh, yeah, it just kind of, it just illuminates where the fish are at and then you just got to figure out how to catch them for sure. Exactly. Yeah, like we were we were slip bobbering the other day and, and just had a guy pitch out a jig and a minnow and caught a couple doing that. Just kind of switch it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I love it. Great information. I love the stories, Dusty. Um, and, uh, nice work. Uh, I just, you know, I think it was probably, you know, it's probably been said enough, uh, you know, uh, at this point, a couple weeks after the, the championship, but there's only been like a handful. And I mean, a handful is, is it of 30 pound bags in a way tournament, even in a measure tournament, like, cause I know that the North Dakota Ames go to Devil's Lake too, but like in any five fish bag, like there's been a handful in history of 30 pound bags on Devil's Lake. Well, I had conversations with, I don't know how many people, but it was, you know, the predictions were all over the board uh, as to how much weight it was going to take, you know, to win. Um, you know, I mean, that whole fun conversation of like, you know, you know, 15 fish, uh, you know, what's it going to take to win? I mean, it, it was all over the board considering the weather, never perfect. Uh, but knowing, you know, the potential of the lake, the potential of the anglers, 
Um, you know, you always just got to factor in that you guys are going to figure some stuff out that none of us know. And, you know, like, like how, how do you package that all up into a three day wait? Um, and just, and, and predict accurately what it's going to take. And, uh, man, I mean, I think that we all knew there was going to be some 30 pound bags because historically there's been a handful, but jeepers. Um, yeah, man, I predicted, I predicted on a local radio interview that 22 to 25 pounds a day was what wanted in 2019. And that should be pretty close but i also had mentioned we have to add in our new sonar and that could jolt up the weights a bit but like never did i ever expect for someone to weigh a 39 pound bag that to me was just unpredictable we knew that upper 20 pound bags were possible and that maybe the 30 pound or 28 pound day you know would have been more of the average so it's just crazy how that uh how that all rolled out and yeah you were messaging me i appreciate the support uh so many friends and family like i have to thank my family for driving up they they packed up and went up the road and we're we're in the stands watching and uh i tell you one of these days it's it's gonna happen oh yeah oh yeah dude i was yeah i was cheering for you i definitely i'm a big fan of so many you know of the guys and and you guys know that i mean but it's like man when you know just just seeing you and 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 putting some of the story together you know you guys are you're mid tournament you're at the weigh ins they're asking you questions and kind of putting the pieces together and knowing that you had found something you know know, knowing that you had gone out and found something the day before the tournament and you were capitalizing on it it was like that to me that was like the story that i couldn't take my eyes and ears off of and so this is really since the championship you're the first you, you know you're the first participant that i've that I've ha- uh, been able to talk to and you're really the guy that I just I couldn't wait to get the story on how that all went down and um, and just how exciting that is for you guys I mean you do it it's such a passion you know yeah. I think that you know so many of us just look at you know the the championship the top anglers you guys have been doing it for years it, you know all the names on that list are you know maybe there's a there was a couple of young guns in there for sure but you know so many of the names that we already know we've known you for 20 years and it's like you guys already have it all figured out no big surprise here that you guys still got to go out and do it it's still such a great story you know every time it's such a great story every time and uh this and it's always different and so i'm glad that we were able to talk about it dusty and yeah man i was definitely rooting for you man i was definitely rooting for you dude uh, so yeah, I'll be there when it does happen. Get your work done, man. And, uh, yeah, we'll be in touch. All right, buddy. Take care.